Hi, welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast where we reflect and dissect the movies of the past 10 years. I'm your host, Jack Draper, and with my co-host, Clay Williams. As above, so below. Mm. That phrase is believed to be the key of all magic. It means that what is within me is outside of me. As it is on earth, so it is in heaven. As I am, so are my cells. So are my atoms, so is God. Basically, as I believe the world to be, so it is. And that's from the Scientology Handbook. Oh. <laughs> I promise we do not start every episode this way. <laughs> I swear to God. Thank you. Thank you. I, 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 think, I think that was just a What if we transition. did start every episode that way? Like, like it's just you replace... Quoting the Scientology Handbook? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. What, do they call it the Bible? I don't know. Fucking Scientologist. I Sorry. have no idea, but I like that idea of just opening every every episode with a line from the Book of Scientology. I think, I think that works. Yeah. I, it's all It all applies. It does. Yeah. I think right. so. And then just going to like, hey guys, welcome to this week. <laughs> like, Phil, we're talking... <laughs> <laughs> like pretend you didn't talk about Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna be talking about Ladybird. Oh boy, <laughs> this is it. I would love to hear how you link Scientology to Ladybird. Please, someone do it. I would love. Oh, to. there's a way. There's always. Oh yeah, a way. Well, first we gotta go over the deep, deep dark side of Beanie Feldstein. No. <laughs> oh god. Well, I would be so depressed. I would be so sad. I'd be right. so sad if that came Her out. And like Jonah Beanie Feldstein, like Scientologist. Deep, deep oh. shit, yeah. Well, I mean, we all know Elizabeth Moss is Scientologist. Yeah, that's the... Unf- kind of that's, just that's, like that's... everyone's favorite Scientologist, Elizabeth mm. Moss. That's true. That's the worst thing about Elizabeth Moss. Like, she, um, like everything else is pretty great. That's she'd just be like unanimously thing. everyone's unholy favorite if it weren't for that little eh, Scientology stain. You know? It's like, ooh, I think we can overlook that because you're really crack. good. Yeah. <laughs> She's great. Lizzie, oh my God. we gotta get you out of there. <laughs> Lizzie, come on. Peggy, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Shirley Jackson, let's go. <laughs> uh, by the time... Becky like, something, get out of there. <laughs> a lot of the celebrities who, you know, get roped into Scientology are usually, are usually on their downswing, like Travolta when he wasn't famous anymore or like, like popular, I guess. But like mm-hmm. just seeing someone in their prime in, in the cult of Scientology is just no bueno. It feels like she's been in there for a while too. Uh, was she born into Scientology? <laughs> I believe we it. Are, we are off the oh, rails. I am so We're sorry. always off the rails. No, don't yeah. apologize. We I encourage it. We encourage I made it. the yeah. joke. Yeah. Yeah. I made the joke. <laughs> I should be no punished. Goes. Uh, this but, is where you're going to be held accountable. This is, but, but we already talked about is this episode <laughs> for past episodes. <sighs> well, we should introduce our guest who has graced us with her presence already, which yeah. we always like. Well, uh, who's introducing? <laughs> oh, you do. You're, you're better at it than I am. I am? Oh, okay. Yeah, you are. I, I uh, gave you a compliment. Just do it. But... <laughs> um, we have Mary Beth McAndrews with us this week from the uh, Scarred for Lace podcast. How are you? Great. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. Not too me. bad. Just another day in Thank you for coming on. Of course. I'm very excited to talk yeah. about um, I'm surprised this didn't happen in 2020. This feels like a 2020 kind of event. Of this movie, I mean. Oh, I was like, us, like we are in 2020. And right? Yeah, we are in 2020. <laughs> That's true. Like, are we, though? <laughs> He's a time traveler. I am um, time traveler. We, 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 uh, we established this before we recorded, so sorry for everyone who's caught off guard. I am a time traveler. That's the truth. Right, of course. Um, we're always curious with our guests. Um, at least I am. 
what is I do you am. remember okay well you throw me under the bus like that all right cool fine well listen cool. i i'm i was just you know I, speaking sure for I yourself that. i guess mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm gonna speak in the third person now too don't do that <laughs> uh what was the first movie that got you into movies if there was one or if there was like a light bulb that went off one day they're like oh i want to follow this as a passion and a hobby and do you also remember the first time that you saw as as above so below Yes. So the first question is a really good one. I'm trying to remember because I've always loved watching movies. I've always loved horror movies specifically, but I think one of the movies that really kind of sparked the thing like in my brain that I really wanted to like pursue writing about movies was in college when I saw High Tension by Alexandra Aja in a horror film class. And, Mm. you know, I'd always love horror films and always love watching them, but I never really, you know, thought I could write about them or like thought it was something that was like even worth doing. Um, And then that movie just like changed my brain. And so that was the first one that got me to be like thinking about being a writer. But the first movie I saw that got me like just really into movies was Jaws when I was four. You know, Oh yeah. The usual, like, Oh, I watched this movie too young. No wonder you have a podcast about being scarred for Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. That's like, yeah. I didn't even talk about that one. And like, that's not even the example I use because Poltergeist was the one that really ruined my life. But yeah, so Joss was one of the first movies I saw that like, <laughs> I remember really loving movies. And I've always loved movies like my whole life. And my family is a lot, a big movie family. So, um, and then- Are they the ones who introduced you to horror and got you into it when you're even- when Yeah, you're well, age? my dad did. My dad was really into mm-hmm. horror films and got me into it at a young age. My mom does not like horror movies. And she like- <laughs> my mom's side of the family does not understand anything I do or write about or talk about. It's so funny. They're like, we love that you read about movies. So why do you have to write about scary movies? I'm like, it's just what I like. So yeah. um, Your dad's just in the background pumping his fist. Like, yeah. And it's funny because like, I don't talk to my dad anymore. So it's an awkward thing. But at the same time, like, Mm. well, at least he gave me that. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Stamp of approval. <laughs> oh, you're hey, on the right pot. Oh, hey, you're you guys, you want your guy. We got him. <laughs> yeah, I'm right here. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, in regards to as above, so below, I actually saw this for the first time at the very beginning of quarantine. Um, so I. Oh, it's very fresh. It's very fresh. Um, it's fresh because, for all of us. Yes. Um, so at the beginning of all this like, self isolation bullshit, I was just like. Mm-hmm. Let's just, I started watching a ton of movies because I always watch a lot of movies and I got really into found footage as anyone who follows me on Twitter can tell. And so this was the movie that got me like really inspired about how amazing um, found footage can be. So I'm really excited to talk about it because it kind of reignited my love for the subgenre. I always liked it, but I think this movie really showed me like how amazing it was. It is. So yeah. yeah. Like Before watching good. it, what was your favorite found footage film? I don't know if this is your favorite currently, but just in general. It's not my favorite currently, but before it was probably the Blair Witch Project or or Paranormal Activity 3. I know that's very weird that the Paranormal Activity 3 fucking rules. Wait, can I curse in the show? Yeah, yeah. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) We strictly rated Shut the fuck up, Jack. We can curse. (laughs) Um, I love Paranormal Activity 3. Um, They've got this Mm. really cool part. Have you guys seen Paranormal Activity 3? No, I hear it's great though. Oh, first i hear it's good are you guys do you do you guys like spooky movies am i am i bringing the spooky vibe today no i mean well i mean like we i don't we're not experts but i i mean i dig horror movies okay uh we just covered the unfriended franchise 
so that is one that I'm actually going to start watching tomorrow. Because <laughs> I Ooh, actually haven't watched Unfriended. Wow. Um, I've watched. Like, we a have a two and a half hour like... episode on that after you do. <laughs> so. Hell yeah. Plug, plug, plug. It's so exciting. That's so cool. But yeah, um, <laughs> that's like in a nutshell how I got. So basically, yeah, the Blair, I love the Blair Witch Project. It scared the sh- And I live in Maryland. And this movie takes place in Burgettsville, Maryland. So I'm always like. Oh, does place. it? Yeah. Burgettsville, Maryland is about 45 minutes from my apartment. Mm. And so I am just like the fucking Blair Witch is out to get me. So that's a special. <laughs> and it's like you heart. just needed like ninety minutes of Josh, Mike. That's all. That's all you needed, right? The scary. Look, I love that movie. <laughs> Heather, do not hate. I will not hate. <laughs> Let you shame the name no. of Blair Witch. <laughs> <laughs> no Blair Witch. Like, very no pro Blair Adam Wingard's Blair Witch. Like I was like, that's the one. That's. I did, really, I, did, I did really like Adam Wingard's Blair Witch. I've never seen anyone defend that one. You haven't? I would love oh to God. see someone make people a all, plea their people case. All, people all over Twitter, like on horror Twitter, love that movie. I love it. I think it's so good. I mean, they like mm. parts of it, but I really enjoyed How it. How was Book of Secrets? Oh, I didn't see that. Have one. you seen it? Okay. Right. And I've again, seen it. There are some like staunch Ooh, defenders yeah. of it. No, I haven't. I it's Uh-oh. great. Like, there are people who say, like, oh, it's so good and campy and dumb. But, like, I am just, like, oh, the found footage aspect, though. Like, yeah. And plus, like, as a follow-up to something that much of a phenom- phenomenon. I like, know. You, you can't help. What but- famous exactly. actor is in that? Oh, someone. All right. Maybe uh, I'm. Denzel like- Washington. <laughs> Isn't, like, Michael C. Hall from Dexter in the sequel of Blair Witch? Am I making that up? Oh no, Jeffrey Donovan. He's not famous. I like Jeffrey Donovan though. He's from Burn Notice. Okay, never mind. Oh yeah. Okay, I know who that is. Oh sure, yeah, Jeffrey Donovan. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, Burn Notice. Sorry, I apologize. Um, But yeah, no, you should check out the. By the way, we should also mention that we're recording this live in the Paris catacombs right now. One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. We have to hear any dust falling above us. Yeah. You hear a, fa- a phantom phone ringing in the background. Yeah, phantom phone oh, ringing. Yeah, maybe a burning car. Creepy women it? singing in the cat. Like, creepy naked women just singing and chanting. Like, yeah, yeah. I love that's how just that's just for like, ambience. All right. I love how that's just such a shrug when that happens. It's like, what, what, what's this? Ah, weird people. That is, it's so <laughs> funny. Like, I absolutely so love funny. that because it's like it feels like so important, but really, it's just like the vibe, it's just the atmosphere. It's just like, oh, by the way, like these people just hang out down here and chant and like are naked. And they just—they're not even the weirdest thing you're gonna see. It's like, yeah. oh, 100%. oh, okay. It's like the third act of Suspiria. It's, it's, it's like I haven't fully, seen it. Wow. Or wait, the remake? Are you talking about uh, the yes. remake? Okay, I haven't seen it. Yes, that's going to be a fun one to for someone to plead their case. Uh, I plead their case uh, for like you know best best horror of the decade. Just on on their knees, just oh, listen no. to me, please. I court. listen to that movie, but I don't. No, think it's the best horror movie of the decade. Right. Uh, you know, it, I people, people say I things that are like that. Some people it's will inter- say it's, it, best. it's a big swing, and I always love big swings. Um, this is my first time seeing it as well. Uh, I didn't know, I knew it was about the Paris catacombs and it was found footage. I think I remember seeing the trailer in 2014, but what I really remembered was the poster because yeah. I always thought the poster was rad as shit with the yeah. red and black. Mm-hmm. Um, just it's so perfect. it's so good. So um, good. Uh, yeah. And it's like, wow. That that is that is really really cool, um, but yeah, I, and I think the found footage phenomenon kind of scared some people off, uh, especially 
the critical reception where it's just like this just has nothing going for it. It's just like another found footage kind of thriller. Like, why are you still filming? <laughs> like that's, that's, that always seems to be the go-to low hanging fruit. And that's so fr- like, <sighs> okay. I get it. I get, but like, just fucking suspend your disbelief for two fucking mm-hmm. seconds. Like, it's a movie, and I know that yeah. like it's frustrating. But like, also, I feel like there was a good frame for it and saying like they were making a documentary about her, and they already had the cameras. And look, if that shit was happening to me and I had a camera, I'd be like, I gotta, I gotta capture it. Like, I would be filming that because I'm like, you gotta at least like. Well, I think the good explanation mm-hmm. for like they justify it pretty well because one most of the cameras are just on the headband where their lights are. So it's not like this extra thing they're lugging around. Mm-hmm. Um, and second, when they, when like, when the cameraman dies, RIP, um, was it Blair? Was that his name? I, I just saw it last Benji. night. Benji. Benji. Oh, poor Benji. RIP. Um, <laughs> when he dies, there's a light on the camera. So that's why they take it. Yeah. That's why they film it. So I think, so that, those are kind of the little details of my, you know, it helps to just be like, okay, yeah, they need this, whatever. It doesn't matter. Mm. Well, so let me ask you guys a question. Do you, what is your opinion about found footage? Did you have one before watching this mm. movie? Well, we really uh, talked about this a lot, actually, funny enough, um, when we did the Unfriended episodes, okay. because yeah, yeah. it is found footage It's very, it's in a very different context, though, because mm-hmm. it's all yeah. through the computer. Yeah, second screen horror. Because this feels like more classical, like someone yes. someone in in it like the character is holding a camera yeah it's like their um recollection of events through the film is is the film but then um with the unfriended franchise and like other films like host and searching that's like spinning off into its own thing right now with the desktop horror right yeah Mm -hmm. um and i think my opinion on it was the sort of what everybody else thought but not but not giving its due, which is which is like, yeah, this is just a trend. Um, and in quarantine, like you with this movie, I saw the first Paranormal Activity um, and thought it was really interesting. Like you could see seeds being planted for others to follow, and it was it was very much real as well. In April, March of twenty twenty, for a couple living together and seemingly never being to, able to leave one home. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, oh, oh boy. That's yeah. scarier than cell phone footage. Um, I um, I marathoned all six paranormal activity movies for my birthday this year. Nice. Simply because no, I, I did. I should do Gotta that ring in 27 in style. Right, baby? Duh. I should watch all the paranormal activities for Halloween. Oh, that's what I'm going to do. All right. Sorry. Move on. Just my, just my, just my, mm. I'm just thinking out loud. Sorry. Yeah. Nice. Understandable. Thank you. <laughs> um, but wait, where did you, wait, there were, were you going to say something more, Jack? Or? No, no, I was, I was leaving All right, too. cool. Um, yeah, no, like, God, uh, I'm bad at this. Uh, found footage. I'm. You think in 47 episodes, we would get the hang I of really it. I really get the hang of it. Yeah, no. Yeah. We're um, just professionals by this point. Found footage, I think. I had the unfair opinion of it because I wasn't well versed in it that before I really watched any of it. Because honestly, like before we watched those unfriended movies, I've never seen the Blair Witch, either of them. I haven't seen a paranormal activity. Um, maybe the only found footage movie I've really seen before we watched those unfriended movies was um, Chronicle. 
And that's oh. not even a typical one. Oh. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Which I looked up who uh, redacted. No, oh, no, no one made that move. Or, or, on well, air. Someone, in a live episode, by the way. And, yeah. Uh, and it caught my, no my reaction. Someone did direct that movie, but no one wrote it. Not a single person actually wrote it. It just, the script appeared. It just, it just, it's crazy. Stork delivered it to the actors. Yeah, it's true. It just, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's no, no writer actually, you know, was on that movie. Right, Moving on. Right. Um, so, but like, I, that too. Um, I, yeah, I had an unfair opinion, like a snob, not a snobby opinion, because I've been able to like, over the, like the last two years or whatever, become more comfortable and be like, yeah, can't be horror's fun. Like, what the fuck? Like, I mean, I'm a big fan of those Final Destination movies. I think, I think they're just super inventive and creative and highly enjoyable. Um, like you're talking about Alexander Aja, um, one of the best movies of, um, best is hard, but one, a great movie that came out last year was Crawl. I mean, yes, that movie I love fucking Crawl. Rules. It's so good. Um, and like, and it's not like it doesn't break Didn't the Tarantino, mold of anything. Right? Was he flipping out over Crawl? Oh yeah, Crawl. Like I think at one point he's like, Crawl was his favorite movie of 2019, <laughs> which is very Tarantino and very weird to hear. Um, but like, yeah. So those kind of movies, I don't have a stick up my butt about anymore because I was, you mm-hmm. know, when I was just getting into films like oh, Nolan, Villeneuve, you know, these cinema shots, just, you know, yeah, yeah exactly, just like yeah. a douche. Um, and so now I'm just kind of getting getting more into genre stuff um, is so much fun. And so I really appreciate watching this because it really feels like a haunted maze. Like, I, and I kind of love that about it. It's just this, I don't know, you know, we, there's that, this is a weird side tangent, but like, there is the whole thing about, I can't believe I'm bringing this up. I actually hate myself for doing so. Um, Martin Scorsese's comments about Marvel movies last year oh, while the roller coasters instead of cinema. This? I know, I know. Trust me. I, I like. I, it's horrible. I again, I hate myself for it. Um, and I'm not going to get into any of that. That doesn't really matter. But we already did in the Wolf of Wall Street. But episode. during we'll the, I, I wasn't on. So, God. Um, Just trying I, to still promote ourselves. I, I mean, good job. You know, always, always be promoting. Um, you shut that shit down. But yeah, so, so during that whole thing, we you know roller coasters and that analogy was used to death, and we're all I mean, we're all analyzing the fucking analogy about it because it's just it's just everyone was talking about it. But watching this movie, and I'm not getting into the Marvel debate, whatever. But like this feels like a roller coaster, and I love that about it. It feels like mm. you know it's just like you keep building up and up and up, and you're just you know like just basically. I think the reason why the found footage works for this film is because, again, I feel like I'm in the middle of a haunted maze, a great one, and I'm just, like, going through room to room, seeing what creepy shit's around the corner, mm-hmm. um, just, like, you know, like, panning left and right and seeing, like, oh, there's a dead corpse here, oh, there's someone in this hooded fit, like, this, in, like, uh, ch- sitting in this chair with, like, a hooded figure or whatever, oh, there's these statues coming to life, you just, you know, walk around the corners, creepy shit's happening all the time, and it feels just... I don't know. It, it's just fun to sit with and watch. It's you like yeah. taking on a ride. It just yeah. keeps going. Actually, I thought of something very similar as well. Well, that I means you're very smart then. Yeah, of course. <laughs> in middle school, I went to, I was in, a, my grade was, um, why can't I speak? I was in class with a girl who lived on a farm and her family carved out this corn maze for, uh, for like, the rest of the town to come and walk through in the fall and during Halloween they would like set it up and 
put all these decorations and they would hire everybody with like scary masks and, and they would like jump out of kids, you know? And, um, and I would think about that corn maze at this girl's farm and my friend group would go and, and like, we would kind of like time ourselves to get out of the maze. Like it was kind of hard, kind of easy. Um, but kind of like this, you're so certain that there is a destination, but the ability to walk in circles is so easy mm-hmm. that, that then it's like, is there really an end to this or are we just yeah. going to be stuck here forever? Yeah. And well, and what is so fascinating about this is like, it's such like a Tomb Raider film. It feels like the, um, yes. the idea of Tomb Raider came to mind. Yeah, exactly. But I like this so much more because it's so more complex. I think it's not just about, you know, her looking hot and raiding tombs and like trying <laughs> mm-hmm. to find stuff. But there's like this really intense emotional story about her and her dad and, and I, you know, also I love a found footage film that has a female character at the center that isn't just her, like, screaming and crying the whole time, but actually, like, a strong female character. And I really enjoyed mm-hmm. her character and the development throughout. And so that was what really stuck out, stuck out to me with this at first. Um, and then, you know, especially as it gets into, like, the depictions of hell and the kind of idea of hell in this movie that is so yeah, fucking well, cool. I saw a yeah. video on that, yeah. Yeah, and I actually wrote about I actually wrote about that um, oh, about sick. the depic- this depictions of hell and this kind of Dantean version of hell, but also it's like kind of inverting what we usually expect um, with the idea of like you know the Christian version of hell, and I'm really mm-hmm. into that as well. Sorry, my kitten is awake and decided to bother me. <laughs> Bring up hell with the cat; it's never good. Um, <laughs> I really did get that Tomb Raider vibe. Um, it's very similar in. Like, the movies, I I can't comment really much on the movies. I think the Tomb Raider movies are whatever. But the game, like the remake that came out in 2013, reminds me a lot of this. And this reminds me a lot of that. Um, I'm not saying one copied the other. I don't feel the need to get into that. But um, it does have that similarity of, in like the first Tomb Raider game, Laura, or the remake in 2013, Laura is basically picking up where her father left off. Um, he committed suicide. Um, I think this isn't the Alicia Vikander. Um, right. uh, I I forget. I, I mean, I could tell you if movie. I remembered what I've remembered that movie accurately, but I don't. Um, it's kind of forgettable. But like the mm-hmm. game itself, it's very like it explores this, like this obsession and how it, grief fuels it, um, and how like it affects the ones around her. Um, and this is approached very similarly. I'm not saying it's a ripoff, but um, I think, I mean, it's valid in the um, ideas it presents. And I do like, and the the thing that's very different about this is, of course, I mean, it's more horror, but it's also examining the trauma surrounding everyone else um, and their own fears. Uh, and um, yeah, and so like the, just seeing that connection with, you know, the character in this is very much a Laura archetype. Um, a better version than like whatever Angelina Jolie did, but like it definitely more of like the more um, ground, like an actual person. It doesn't feel like a video game archetype. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that applies here as well, where it's like everybody's got their own thing to, uh, to confront. And even though some are left up to interpretation more than others, um, kind of like Annihilation in the way 
That's ah. because you're going into a place and you're looking for a thing. Everyone's bringing their own self baggage to it. Right, of course. Yeah. yeah. And it comes back to haunt them. Yes. Well, and also something that's really fascinating Ooh. about Above So Below is that so often found footage is always about like, oh, you're going to see everyone die. Like found footage films are always like, you know how it's going to end and you know that mm. everyone is going to be dead by the end. Because that's why the footage was found. But this really subverts that idea. And there's three survivors. And so it is really interesting. And actually, there's this whole, there's an analysis that I read about this. And I can't remember where, where there's six of them go in and three come out. So as above, so below. So half of the party is split up. Um, and so half of them don't make it and half of them do as kind of like a balancing act of like that. That's really good. So it is really fascinating how this movie plays with these, also these old ideas of alchemy and hell and, you know, everyone knows Nicholas Trammell from Harry Potter. Duh. Well, I do. And so it's, (laughs) so again, I was very interested in like, oh my God. Wait, who is is it from Harry Potter? Nicholas Trammell. He hasn't seen any of the Harry Potter movies. Oh yeah. He's an uncultured cretin. Have you read any of the books? No, uh, he, I, he's he, my, he my granddad nothing. read him to me was, but like not <laughs> well, independently so in the first book of harry potter the sorcerer's stone is is this stone from is like in the the sorcerer's stone that they're looking the philosopher's stone looking for in mm-hmm. book below is the sorcerer's stone from the first harry potter. oh that's the name of the yeah. first movie <laughs> right yes oh, so yes <laughs> <sorry. laughs> oh okay no i just realized that that's the thing that they're looking for and that's how she heals the Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot. I totally forgot. Oh, that's oh, funny. That's so funny. Sorry. Uh huh. Um, oh. <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, got it. Oh, that's so funny. I've seen the movie. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> sorry, I'm dating myself and how much I loved Harry Potter as a child. Um. Oh no. But no, well. I just. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but I um. I lost my train of thought. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, yeah, no. Um, but yeah, you know, alchemy is very much an interesting uh, approach to this whole thing. It very much gets into the nitty gritty of, I mean, sometimes, I won't lie, it can be like, the they just bring up all these like facts about it. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. I, I Whatever you're saying sounds cool. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. You know, just like, just bringing out like all their, um, Especially like in the beginning when they're exploring the history of um, the Philosopher's Stone. Or wait, sorry. I, I, wait, no, it is Philosopher's it's Stone. It's the Philosopher's Stone, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and like... Wait, isn't it the Sorcerer's Stone? No, so this, stop, this, it. So, stop So it. the Sorcerer, it's called the Sorcerer's Stone in the American version of the book, but it's initial, like the initial publication of the first Harry Potter book was also the Philosopher's Stone. So that's like the proper name for what that is. I will uh, stop asking any Harry Potter. Okay, no, it's okay. It's good. It's that's weird. The naming is weird, but yeah, I'm gonna stop philosophy. embarrassing myself. Oh, you're not embarrassing yourself. It's just funny, uh, which I guess what's is worse. Like, yeah, yeah, no. Um, but it does very much go into the. It, it's very steeped in mythology, so much so that it's kind of. It's sometimes you just get. I, I at least I get lost and like, what are they talking about? Like you know, and I do think. I do kind of love how they don't like explain every single piece of mythology to you. They kind of just, just hearing people talk about it without knowing it is just fine as it is. Like, you know, the um, amount of stuff they bring out, uh, bring up. Um, but uh, yeah, it is an interesting approach to it. And like hell being portrayed in this way, uh, it feels, it's crazy because it feels so small. 
I know if I, I don't know if that's weird, but it feels no, like such it's, a small it's hell. No, it's not. It's not weird though because it is true. I mean, the entrance to I, and I, when I wrote about this, I talk about you know the Christian depictions of hell are these like big gates and there's fire and brimstone. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like like fantastic. a canyon. Yeah, it's like, like a fantastical mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And in this movie, it's literally just a hole. You picture like a trench. Almost. Yeah, and yeah. like demons dancing on things, and like everyone's on fire, and it's like very dramatic and very mm-hmm. intense. But in this movie, it's just a hole in the ground. And it's very plain. There's some wasted, abandoned hope, all you who enter here. And they're like, I think this is the entrance to hell. And it's so subdued and it's so creepy because yeah. it doesn't seem like what you would expect. And it is, it seems, it is very contained. It feels like they're just going into another room of the catacombs, which is so fascinating because, again, like hell is always thought of as this like vast, never ending. Like you think of Constantine when in um, the, the movie Constantine when Keanu Reeves who plays mm-hmm. goes into hell and it's this like, mm-hmm endless wasteland of fire and demons and everything is miserable but here it's so uncanny it seems like our real world it just is so different from what you'd expect um until the opposite of a bosch painting yeah exactly it's very subdued it's very cold you know we always Mm -hmm. think of hell as hot but it's a cold empty caverns and there's some weird ass dudes that like are walking or i love those guys like the demon looking creatures that have like the black they're pretty great robes and so i just really enjoyed this kind of cold dark version of hell as opposed to the typical catholic representations of it and it really does like speak to a different kind of mythological belief in what the underworld is and the beauty of it is that in this movie, you can't really, I mean, yes, there is this labeled entrance, but it's kind of hard to tell when does, you know, where does hell start and where does hell end in the sense of like the moment they're in that underground, it kind of feels like they're already in hell, but te- like, it looks like it's the hell's effects is bleeding through, um, like as you get closer and closer. I mean, like the piano is before the entrance, the phone is before the entrance, like well, it's that, still bleeding well, no, yeah, and that's why they call it it's a Dantean version of hell Megan Navarro for Bloody Disgusting wrote about this and it's the seven layers of hell so the, like when they go underground it's a layer of hell so they are technically like you can read it as the catacombs are a layer of hell and they're going through those different kinds of layers and like the center of hell is when they like kind of go into the like literal hell but mm-hmm. it's not you know it's a little bit like you said it's not as cut and dry like here is where you are now and like now you are in this place like you are in it a different a kind of iteration of what it means to go through hell it's kind of sloppy if that makes any sense i, wonder kinda, if you, it, I don't know if sloppy would i don't know because well, no, not in a bad way i'm saying it's like it's not it's not like precisely um it's not like an architect went down and it was like, all right, we're going to put this room here. We're going to put this room here. It just kind of, it, it just moves around and it just An feels... architect for hell. Okay, one second. Yeah. My kitten is causing all hell and I'm just going to take her <laughs> out of the room because she always seems to do this when I'm in the middle of podcast recordings. I'm so sorry. No I worries. No um, worries. You fucked it up, dude. You ruined it for <laughs> I wonder if you could even go as far to like say the nightclub is an addition that they oh. go to to retrieve the uh um uh, papillon the tw- yeah the papillon, papillon. Yeah, of course because uh, there was character. the boy that led right. them to papillon sorry about that yeah so we were i was just saying like if you could read the nightclub in the very beginning as another layer because mm. you see that that boy that leads them to papillon and he's like i know the guy that you're looking for but isn't that his get, brother am i crazy to say that 
Sorry, just just since we're on it, isn't it that his, the brother that is in the car, the <laughs> guy who appears out of nowhere and tells him, "Hey, you should go see this guy." Yeah, um, I don't, I can't remember if he has the same hairdo. He kind of looks similar, but once you once um, once you pan back to the spot that he was that he was previously in, he's not there anymore. He's, he's just gone, banished. Yeah, um, it, I, once you see the character do something like that without it being explained or mentioned, then it's like, oh, you could have some kind of mystical quality. Yeah, like, uh, demon? Um, Question mark? Well, yeah, and there's this Presence idea... Presence is known. You could also a- read the whole nightclub as unsettling. Yeah, and there's this idea of, like, predestination, like, you know, something else knows what's going on. Because that's mm-hmm. it. Was it... Is there like oh, I'm rem- I might be getting my movies confused, but isn't there a woman walking around outside of the yes. club? Yes. And so it, it does feel like there's this kind of like otherworldly aspect that is leaking into like into the above world and how mm. <clears throat> you know you exploring this doesn't necessarily mean that something else mm. might not know you're exploring it. So And that woman is the leader of the singing cultists when they enter. Um, they Benji recognizes her. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And she also kills Benji. That's right. Yeah, oh, she's yeah, the same yeah. woman throughout. So in the video inter- that I saw that explains the Dante's Inferno interpretation, he was like the baggage that Benji then carries into hell is adultery, because he keeps on yeah. fondling over this woman in the camera. And yeah, she's like he doesn't want to be tied down in his his relationship. Damn. Um, well, and that, it's a really interesting way that it addresses the voyeurism of like kind of the voyeuristic problems you think about with horror films and also like that inherently comes with found footage and how, you know, you are the camera person, you are watching these people, you are kind of, you know, in, char- in charge of how the bodies are being viewed. And, mm-hmm. you know, he is the one kind of exploiting the female body and viewing it in a particular way. So that makes a lot of True. sense. And it is an interesting like, kind of examination of the ways you view found footage and the perspectives that you're kind of made to take and how those films also often want to interrogate that subject position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is interesting because usually like they, the camera person is usually kind of all like in these found footage movies, it's kind of all of them. There's not like this designated camera person. Like usually it moves back and forth, but it's like a group effort. Um, I don't it, know dep- it depends on the film, though. Like, true. It, oh, hold on a true. second. There's a massive fucking train passing my apartment. <laughs> You're fine. What if it um, crashes in? Oh god. Oh man. Uh, Horrible. Um, but like, I do think that I don't know. Benji is more of a character than you would think he would be. Um, and he, he is because a lot of times it's either that the group is the camera person or the camera person isn't really given an actual character. I don't know if that, again, I don't know if that actually makes sense, but usually well, they're just it, serving it, a role. It makes sense, but it depends on the found footage film you're watching because True. a lot of the time the camera person is the proxy for the audience and you're taking their mm-hmm. position. And, but then also, um, there's also a lot of times in these movies where changing of the camera person is like a pivotal moment, like a pivotal shift in the film. Yep. So if you think like the Blair Witch Project, um, Josh is the camera guy for mm. most of the film, and then it shifts when he passes away. When he passes away, it gets kidnapped <laughs> by the witch, and so then Heather has the camera. And it's I think that 
the camera person plays a really important role in these films, but I don't think it's talked about a lot and how important it is to kind of understand their role in it. And when that changes, like there's this really awesome Australian movie called The Tunnel. Um, that's a like, it's about, it's like a mockumentary that is about like a, a project in Australia that got canceled and they're trying to find out why. And mm-hmm. at one point they put the camera down and the creature picks up the camera and starts oh, filming. And there's, it's so fascinating when those, those moments when the creature, the ghost, the entity grabs the camera and is in control of it. And I think there are a lot of really interesting things to discuss in terms of like the, the subjectivity of the camera and what it means to be behind the camera and whose perspective you're taking. And, um, Obviously. And there's no limit on whose perspective it could take. Yeah, exactly. And so, once it switches, you're like, oh, it could could be anybody's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah um, I love found footage. It's so fucking rad. I, I, I'm definitely more. It's interesting in how times treated it. it too. Like, like there's this newfound love after the Renaissance has then died. Like you, you can't you can't find the love for when it really reached its, its peak in the It office. operates in cycles for sure, like a lot of trends. Yeah. Um, well, and so I actually, I'm doing a lecture for Salem Horror Fest about the history of found footage. Um, oh, great. I finished recording that today actually, and about like the cycle of found footage and how it interprets uh, our fears of the digital world and our ever-changing relationships with technology and the creativity that these films throughout the years has shown in terms of trying to interpret anxieties around the digital space and Mm -hmm. so like the big surge happened in Cloverfield and paranormal activity in the late 2000s and then there was a lot of like you know the when this movie came out in like 2014 2015 there were a lot of movies coming out around then and so then it died down and I think now we're hitting another point with host coming out I think there's going to be a new resurgence of screen life horror second screen horror is what I call it and so I think there's something really fascinating coming around about how different eras and different periods of history affect how we want to interpret societal fears especially now because we're all stuck inside and all we're ever doing is talking to people on zoom it's fascinating to take that object of comfort and make it into something scary and something that can be weaponized against you so you're gonna love the unfriended movies yeah i really so i i actually i suggested the den for this podcast as well and the den is the precursor to unfriended and it's really good it's really fucked up um so i would recommend that one as well because it's kind of like the precursor to i actually came out the same year as unfriended but i think it's a better look at that kind of horror, but I think also it was like an indie horror film. It wasn't really like a big release. It wasn't like one of those big blockbusters. Didn't have the Blumhouse backing it, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. It was IFC Midnight, actually. And but what's really cool about those movies? This is so off the rails from as above to below. No, like, this is this is found footage. This is interesting. The second screen horror films are meant to be watched on your laptop, which is so interesting. It's kind of those films are adapting to how our viewing habits, like especially now when no one's going to a movie theater, but. I feel like a lot of the time, a lot of it's been an increase in like the streaming platforms and the need to watch film, like wanting to watch films on your laptop instead of going to the movies. And so these films like Megan is Missing, which is a really another good one, Unfriended, Searching, Host, is taking advantage of how our viewing habits are shifting and have shifted and making it more effective to watch it on a smaller screen. Mm. Yeah, because we're beneficial. And it makes it feel like you're part of the movie too. It's like you're in that video call, you're there. It's like, yeah. what's the difference? There's not as much separation. Like, you like, definitely notice a difference yeah. when I saw searching 
on this computer rather than the unfriended that I saw on a TV. Yeah. It definitely it, plays. It's weird. Little... It's almost like you're like, oh shit, like whose computer is this? <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. And it's really cool. Did I steal this computer? You'll get that when you see them. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I know that. I know the. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the general vibe. Um, but yeah, and so this isn't, I mean, that's not really present in this movie because this movie, I don't think necessarily does anything revolutionary in terms of relationships to technology. What I think it does really, what does really well is interpreting like first person perspectives of fear. And the guy who directed this, John Eric Dodal, he's done some amazing found footage films. He did Quarantine, which is the American remake of the Spanish found footage film Wreck, if you've ever seen Mm -hmm. it. And then he did the Poughkeepsie Tapes, which is a fucked up film that's really good, but it's absolutely horrifying. So he's done a lot of found footage and has like, this was probably his biggest budget one, like the biggest budget. Um, I've heard as- of Devil. That's the one with Satan in the elevator. Is that right? Yeah, that one's bad though. That's not found oh. footage. I'm gonna that one. Um, no, so it was like an M. Night Shyamalan produced thing. I remember seeing that trailer in theaters and everyone's like, that oh, this looks cool. And yeah. they're like, oh, M. Night Shyamalan. And we were like, but he's done a lot of... Oh, um, speaking of Shyamalan, that reminds me, uh, The Visit. <sighs> I like The Visit. That's good. I'm, I mean, I'm glad some people do. I, I hated it. But that's just me. I, I yes. don't, I'm not a huge fan of the whole, like, they were crazy the whole time. I hate those kinds of movies. They're the worst in my head. And okay. I was pissed. No, I totally, yeah. But, um, that's, yeah. It's easy. That's an easy out. Yeah, it's an easy I can out. See, I can and, see like, where you're coming from. But I think the fact that it was kind of suited for me because yeah, I for sure. saw the movie with my sister. It, oh, it is about a okay. brother and a sister. Yeah. We have a really tight relationship with our two remaining grandparents. Yeah. And it's just like, oh man, we should, like, did they spy on us? Like, <laughs> like um, it's, it's not great. Um, uh yeah yeah and it's like been harder to see them recently um so it's like the fact that they hadn't seen their grandparents in the movie in a long time like that kind of place so it's like there was a lot of going on there yeah um, for me and to see Shyamalan's renaissance and at a young age getting into film at that time well I'm sure we'll do the visit at some point but it's like I knew his trajectory as well where it's like come on I'm rooting for you man and, uh, I mean, I love M. Night Shyamalan. The Village is one of my favorite movies, and I will defend that movie until I die. So I like The Village, too. Yeah. I love The Village. Um, the Village would, would be interesting as found footage. It would be, but it wouldn't make sense, because they're all, like, it wouldn't have, they would be weird. Right, and of course the period piece, but, I mean, it would be kind of fun to, to play with just to see how, how it would yeah. at least kind of go. There are so many avenues for found footage that, still can be taken and i'm really excited to see if yeah i was thinking about a whole time like what if this movie uh as above so below would work as like snapchat memories not a documentarian there's actually a snapchat horror movie called sick house um (laughs) yeah it's really fascinating it's called sick house you can actually rent it now and you can buy it and watch it it's so fascinating because you know the initial format is supposed to be snapchat stories and you're supposed to interact with it and click and they're 10 second clips but it was a movie sick house and it dropped on snapchat and people thought it was real it's like similar to kind of the blair witch vibe so yeah someone did make a snapchat horror movie and like i haven't seen it 
I've watched the trailer. I do want to see it because it gets gimmicky, but I think it's also really fascinating because that really does engage with like all the platforms we're using and how we're watching and like how we're engaging with screens. And, you know, everyone's got their phone out all the time. Of course, you're going to, you might, you know, yeah, of course you're gonna it. I feel like you're going to be recording real. on, for me at least, you're going to be recording, recording on Snapchat before like your camera. Yeah, exactly. Like, because app, you yeah. have that computer in your pocket and you always have yeah. a camera ready to go. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot exactly. of possibilities with that. So. What do you think? Do you think screen sharing is the next step in found footage or do you think that it can go off in four different ways? Like, do you think it can splinter off into four different subgenres of found footage like screen sharing is? So there's so many, there are already a lot of subgenres. Like, so, so found footage is a subgenre, but there's already like these subgenres of the subgenre. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, second screen horror is already alive and well. And I think it's just going to continue to evolve and adapt as we get new objects of technology. Because I mean, like, the den about like Omegle and Chat Roulette, unfriended with Skype. Um, Megan is missing was talking about like chat rooms and talking to strangers on the internet. And so if anything, I think it's going to keep expanding into how we interact online. And I think there's going to be a lot more about relationships online, um, about like interpersonal relationships and how. Could be a Tinder focused one. Actually, there is, um, there is one called Unusual Attachment. It's a what? short, I've seen a lot of found footage. Wow. So it's a short film by Michael Verratti, who's actually a friend of mine. And it's about, it's not Tinder, but it's like a dating, dating site and about mm. horrors of online dating. Mm. So I think there's a lot of opportunities that people can take with this. Um, and it's I think like that one like, Black Mirror episode. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the dating yeah. one? That, that was like, a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That was one so, of the good ones. So I think... I think a lot is going to be done with second screen, um, second screen found footage horror. I think a lot's also going to be done with um, the pseudo documentary format, which is like like Mungo. Um, what we do in the shadows is actually an example of that, of where it wants to lend this air of authenticity in creating a documentary, and especially now as like <laughs> the idea of telling the truth is getting so warped and fucked up with the internet. I think there's a lot to play with there. I'm nodding my head for podcast listeners. Yeah. It's like, I think it's going to be a really interesting, continue to be great audio work. Thank you. It's going to be a really interesting avenue of um, investigation for those films. Mm. And plus as, as uh, um, productions begin to resume, I'm sure like a ways to work around it is like smaller sets. And if you can do everything, well, I can. Yeah. And compromise. Host was all filmed on Zoom in different everyone's different apartments. Like I um, talked to the director Rob Savage, and they all recorded the film over Zoom. And unusual attachment was recorded over Zoom. So people are finding ways to make movies, and I think that's going to become a huge thing when people realize like just because you can't have a set and can't go outside, your creativity isn't stunted. And there are so many more creative ways to make films, especially horror mm. films. So. Um, it's really cool what people have been able to accomplish on the zoom platform or just any kind of video chatting platform. Do you, um, I don't, I don't want to just keep like, you know, just, you know, you have a seminar that plenty of people will probably didn't want to watch. So I don't want you to give away your entire, um, your entire course, but like, do you think when, you know, to relate it back to as above, so below that, that we're going to veer from the supernatural, uh, like the supernatural examination of through found footage of like a camera crew going in said place and weird shit happens. And do you think we'll, 
do you think it's going to get more into like I don't want to say reality based, but more, I guess, veer away from the supernatural. Or do you think it's always going to stick there? That's a good question. Um, I think there's always going to be a lurk with the supernatural. I mean, they're making another mm-hmm. paranormal activity movie coming out in 2022, which I am hyped for. I do not care. Um, so I think, I think the supernatural is always a really good way to distance yourself from reality and a good kind of lens to be like, oh, this is kind of like what's happening, but we're going to add a supernatural element to make it seem a little less real and give you a little bit more critical distance from it. But I do think, um, because like host, again, host has a paranormal element, a supernatural element to it. And that tension between old technology, like old with like demons and stuff and the new with the internet. So I think the supernatural will always come to play because I think the supernatural is such an old tale as old as time kind of thing. And it's so fascinating and having that interact with growing technologies. Like that's also seen in the movie Jerusalem, which is the worst name ever because it's Jerusalem with a Z instead of an S. And it's like oh. the cheesiest title, but Sick. it's about, it's so funny, but it's like the Nosferatu. <laughs> yes, exactly. The license yes. plate one. And so, but this one's about using Google Glass, which was really actually pretty good. And it's about this kind of the ancient um, the heralding of the end of times in Jerusalem. And it, again, tension between these old tale, like ancient you know, prophecies versus new tech. And I think that's always going to happen. I think everyone is going to be so fascinated in how we view those old tales, these old kind of like ancient legends were always so, like have always been around and how they're interpreted through. And we can't understand that. Like, yeah, we just, we just can't. We want to, we want logic with our mm-hmm. something that we're fighting with like the yeah. demons um, in a pitchback room. Uh, like we can sort of kind of in a way understand like a serial killer, um, someone that would kill another human being. Like we can like, of course, like that's, that's like a horrible mind and there's something wrong with, with a person. Um, but, but at least like we can, see the steps leading up to that event but like with with like monsters and and demons and like the things that we see in the catacombs here it's like man we just have we have no answers and these things are then used as metaphor to to manifest in in people's past but we just don't know what's real and what's not yeah it's also where creativity flourishes when you have no restrictions of basis of reality it's just kind of like let's just do some fucking shit like let's go I also think it's a different kind of fear that's interpreted as like serial killer found footage, like the Poughkeepsie tapes. And it is the fear there is that, especially with that one, um, it's a real person and it's kind of hard to navigate that a human being could commit such atrocities to people. And so it's a different mm-hmm. kind of fear in trying to understand the human brain and the fear that comes along with not being able to understand it, to understand these motivations and to realize that, you know, people are monsters and, it is a very different kind of fear and a different way of looking at it, but there's some really effective serial killer documentary or not documentaries, Jesus, found footage, horror films, and a couple that are not necessarily serial killers, but like bad things happening to a family and it's not supernatural. And they're mm. really heartbreaking because it's like watching a snuff film and it's really hard. It's yeah. really hard to watch. It's really it's difficult not, to watch. So uh, what I thought of, it's not found footage, but Henry Portrait of Serial Killer. Oh yeah, that's kind actually of, kind of like people think about that as like found footage adjacent. Um, yeah. yeah, it feels oh, like a hundred percent. It does feel like a home video. Yeah. Yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that movie's fucked. Oh. Yeah. So, as someone who's not familiar with that movie, when you say found footage adjacent, 
What do you mean? So it has this grainy quality to it. It has this kind of like the camera, it looks like it's handheld. It's a little bit shaky sometimes. And the hmm. quality of the footage has this grain to it that looks like you're filming it on a handheld camera. It looks like it was made for like six But there's no camera in the narrative. No. So it's not ah. like it's not like, oh, we found this tape. And then the camera exactly. the camera okay. is not its own entity in the film because it's on footage the camera isn't its own like very present entity that you're aware of but in Porch Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer it's not meant to be that way it's just a very low budget horror film that has this kind of like almost documentary aspect and how it captures mm-hmm. like, the mundane life of the serial killer um but it's interesting I haven't even thought I haven't even thought of taking the, like just having the approach of a found footage movie without making it a found footage movie. Like just mm-hmm. make it like a strong artistic choice rather than like have it affect the narrative. Well, have you seen um, The Invisible Man from this year? Yes, yes. So great, great. those moments where they kind of pan down hallways and look in empty spaces, yeah. that mm-hmm. film borrows a lot of found footage techniques and it's oh, really fascinating see to see how yeah. it, revels in the use of open spaces and the kind of the uncomfortable nature of lingering on a moment for too long where nothing is happening but you're waiting for something to happen you're looking for something on the screen and so yeah I think a lot of these horror films are starting to see the footage like how these techniques of found footage are really effective in building this really effective fear and tension not just through jump scares or quick editing Um, and I love a good jump scare like I'm not a jump scare hater but there is something Mm -hmm. really something interesting to be said about having a camera just sit there and film without moving it for a couple of seconds longer than Hmm. you would like it to. And that's why, yeah. yeah. That's why Invisible Man is just, it's so well-directed. It's just because it's very much aware of space and timing, especially trying not to hold onto a scene for too long because it becomes agonizing. And then your audience just kind of like, fuck this, I can't handle it. But not, but not giving, but you have to build up that tension. I just realized. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, look at that. Um, um, but that's interesting. So, so as this, so you, I'm guessing that you've noticed more and more as like found footage has become more and more popular that it is blended in into non-found footage films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. And I think I don't think there's a resurgence coming with found footage necessarily. I still think. I mean, maybe I'm wrong with host, and there's going to be like a new era. Hope but, is lost mm-hmm. for as as above so glow too. What do you, what do you mean? Oh, <laughs> I can't hear. Yeah. I don't want, no, Sorry. as above, so below. No, just not your fault. No, of course um, I not. Don't, yeah. I do not want that. <laughs> um, but since there's not a resurgence, like we're just, there's hopes no, lost. Hope's yeah. lost. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think found footage is going to start getting maybe more of its due. I mean, I'm, I know I will be at the, the front of the charge with that. <laughs> I just, yeah. I'm talking about God found footage right. so much this year. And I think everyone's like, Oh, this bitch loves that. I'm like, mm-hmm, this bitch does love that. And you're like and creating so- petitions, like, making <laughs> stuff, like, yeah. So- more found footage. Rushing it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how people keep interpreting found footage trends mm. and techniques into non-found footage narrative filmmaking. You know, you brought up um, jump scares. And I feel like jump scares have a similar, or have or had a similar reputation that foot- found mm. footage had or has that the two are almost intertwined where it's like guys come on you you did it again like i'm not sure that should be the reaction every time but it's it's like jump scares work on me personally like i'm i'm very frightened like i i'm Mm -hmm. doing that a lot they both have that stigma that we it's kind of like talked about earlier jack yeah well and jump scares Um, 
are, they're cheap. They can be cheap. They're a really easy way to get someone to freak out and to break the tension. But also Mm. when they're good jump scares, they're fucking awesome jump scares. Yeah, it's, like like, ja- it's like the 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 Jaws. Yes, when he when comes you're down um, the water. Yes, and that's the just head pops out. And yeah. found footage is often no. Found footage uses jump scares a lot because you know you can turn the camera and there's something right there, and you know you'll jump because like oh fuck, there's something right there, and they do that a lot with like just people and not like people like running into the frame, not something that's scary. But there's a really good jump scare um, in Gunjiam Haunted Asylum, which is a Korean found footage film. And it's like, they've got a couple jump scares in that movie that are the most fucked up thing I've ever seen. And it scared the shit. Mm. And like, not a lot scares me anymore at this point. Like, yeah, I watch a lot of horror movies, but it scares me. Pretty shit. numb. <laughs> I think I'm just so like, and I appreciate them even if they don't scare me, but sometimes when a film can scare the shit out of me, I'm like, mm-hmm, all right, cool. Good work. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Makes you feel alive like scorecard. Like, oh, that's how it feels. It's been well, so long. I watched another found footage from Mockingbird the other week, and I jumped so hard I tweaked my neck. So I was like, Ooh, "Yeah, oh okay, yeah." Oh I was goodness. like, "Put it on the poster." So <laughs> I was pretty pumped about that because I was like, "All right, yeah." In a while, score some points. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> jump scare points. Another great jump scare you were talking about when we were talking about the art of the jump scare and like how it operates within found footage. Um, one that pops into my mind. I mean, there are a few in this film, but when you're talking about like, you know, camera turns, the camera turns back. Oh, someone's there. I think one that's really effective, even though you kind of see it coming is uh, Benji's death mm-hmm. is just like that. So like he, he's getting, he's kind of, he's not stuck really. Like, you know, he's like, he's about to like um, descend down with the, um, the rope into this hole and the camera's placed right there and he's just kind of waiting for something i forget exactly um but you know he hears something he's like hey what's going on takes the camera kind of looks around puts it back and something is you know and um that woman she grabs him um but like you see you see you know shadows and she walks by the camera at one point um and it's all just really because it's building of course but you can't. You, you don't feel like you know exactly where she's gonna come from because yeah. the camera. If you keep moving the camera, it's and you keep and you kind of give and you kind of um, you don't explore the entire space. You know, you keep it pretty limited. You're gonna feel as if there's a lot of different openings that might not even be there. That mm-hmm. may, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Oh, one hundred percent. Like you're so uh, limited to the scope of the frame. And that's mm-hmm. terrifying. Like, you know, and, you know, especially because it's found footage, you are aware that there's a whole room outside of the frame and you don't know what's exactly. there and you don't know what could be waiting for mm-hmm. you. Which is why the catacombs serve so well, because you feel like, like any, like any room you're open, you're, um, you enter in is so limited because there's, it's just, you know, one's dark and it's also, it's so, it's so nondescript, like nothing looks in the catacombs, nothing looks unique. So it's hard to even tell where you are let alone like what's around you. Well, and also the scene where they're climbing through the rocks is like when they're climbing through to get to the other side of the tunnel that there's no other way for them to go. And they're this like claustrophobia of them, that first person perspective of them going through that really tight space that's covered in bones and like gross. Where he starts hyperventilating. Yeah, but you know, the descent, really if you've seen The Descent, which is not found footage, but they have that <sighs> intense claustrophobia in that, like in that movie when they're crawling through the tunnels and you're like, fuck. I hate it. Um, this has that same thing, but even more with the, with the first person perspective, it's even more spine tingling, kind of just like, 
I can't mm-hmm. breathe. Like this is so intense and so claustrophobic. And I mean, I am claustrophobic, so that mm-hmm. plays into it. But I think having that first person perspective makes that claustrophobia even more real and feeling more tangible. Yeah. And also them crawling it, on human bones is a nice touch. It's like it adds when George to goes the after uh, his brother going through the bones. Oh Isn't yeah. The part? Yeah. yeah. It's like, that's when, that's um, when I remember that. Oh. But like, it, it was, I was surprised when that scene, like when Benji so type of ventilating because I'm like, oh, this isn't like, this isn't supernatural. This isn't, this isn't a ghost jumping out. This is like a human fear that has no real supernatural element to it. He's just legitimately really claustrophobic and freaking out. And it, but it also works. Like it's also, it was, it's just as scary and um, it is scary and frightening as a, uh, as one of those demons popping out, it feels just as like it feels it, it works just as effectively, which I was surprised. It's just for as because- effective as like Tony Clett in the corner of the attic in Hereditary. That is such one of my favorite shots in all of horror when she's lurking in the yeah. corner and you eyes adjust to the darkness. You see her in the corner, and like and when I saw it in the yeah. theater, everyone it was like waves of people going gasping yeah. oh it's so that like too. that's another awesome use of like found footage techniques and kind of showing a big haven't slept since. Ugh. Have not slept since. Yeah. One eye open, like is she in the corner? <laughs> my mom hunts. Always looking me. at the corners. <laughs> Check your corners look at, every corners. time. I wake up with corner. ants in my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The dreams. Yeah. It's yeah. itchy. So yeah. itchy. Yeah. So many ants. I'm not Alex Wolf. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the Naked Brothers band. Oh my god. <laughs> I forgot. Speaking of claustrophobia, I always get confused like which one is in what things. Nate, Nate oh, or Nate Alex. Wolf, Sorry. Nat, yeah. Alex yeah. Wolf. Yeah. I like them things. both, but still, like, oh, wait, this one's in Jumanji. This one's in. Alex is better. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know if like Nate's going to come I think Alex now, is the one that chooses sorry. like the prestige projects and then not True. the one that is in Jumanji. And, um, different strokes for different. They folks. just look, they just look really alike. So if they ever swap places, like, oh, yeah, sure. Um, but we're talking about claustrophobia. Just a little fun fact. I don't, I don't know if there's much to discuss. Someone else who's claustrophobic was, um, oh fuck, Alex Ben Wolf? Feldman, the guy who oh. plays George. He's a, he's legitimately claustrophobic and had to take a lot of breaks while filming this, and it shows. That's the like. I don't know if he's the greatest actor ever. I think. Which, by the way, is, I think, second one I that he showed up, I was like, I know you. Like it was one of those moments. Like I know this guy. What do you know from from? I I I know who this man is. It's Michael Ginsburg from Mad Men. Oh, I'm and not I a was Mad Men fan. freaking out. Like, oh my god, it's the guy who got the, the surgery on his chest. Like in oh yeah, and he was taken to a mental institution. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I was I was like huh. oh my god. Great. So he's a good act. So he's a good. He's very good in this. Yeah. Okay. So. I do think that there are some scenes where, and I don't know, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm projecting this, but like there's a, during a tense situation, the camera puts on him and it looks like it only is a few times, but it looks like he's about to burst out laughing. I don't know why. I just like, it just looks like he's like trying to hold in. Like it, it, he's just really trying to not to laugh at some moments. I don't know. I found that weird, but no, he's like legitimately claustrophobic. Um, and that's like the, you can really fucking tell, especially mm-hmm. when it becomes in the beginning where it's just like, he, you know, he's freaking out. He's legitimately yeah. very upset that, like, um, and I think it works into his character. Scarlet too, manipulated like, I just him. Didn't sign up. I just didn't want to come. Yeah, like, I was just, mm-hmm. I was just gonna like 
like I told you, like this, it was just a part of the deal. Yeah, like, I don't want to go. I'm not going. Yeah, I don't want to go. Scarlet, Scarlet legit manipulates him, like, mm-hmm. like to get him there. And I like that. Like, I like how like she's again not perfect hair character and thinking you know, I'm not like innocent or whatever. Like she's obsessed and is willing to just fucking do it. She no no like no matter what. I mean, she's well, really yeah. It's interesting that you bring up that she's not perfect because the video that I saw explaining like this whole thing was about hell. Like they kind of spent a minute or two talking about the characters and they called her Mary Sue, (laughs) (laughs) which I find interesting. I'm going to throw hands. I'm going to fucking throw hands at that person. (laughs) Well, just in how you're like, well, she is imperfect. And then you go into this other interpretation, like, oh, well, she's too perfect. And I, I mean, you know, the whole Mary Sue, that's like name. That's like, like you know that's not right but um i i don't know i think that the movie sets her out to be uh selfish and on a quest for questionable or ulterior motives that she is leading the group to yeah you're right like manipulating the group to to believe one thing but um oh sorry I'm i'm not saying that it's um that's wholly perfect in I'm not sure, but interesting, interesting dynamics set up from the get-go. Yeah, and hold on, a huge train is passing my house again. I think one of the best scares of the whole movie is her in the beginning. She finds the bowl. She walk, you know, she walks past a corridor and the moment she turns, she sees her father, you know, hanging himself. And of course, when you first watch that, like I did last night, you don't know that's her father. You have no idea. You thought that was just some creepy shit or like an actual person who just hung himself right before the thing exploded. And of course you learn later. And it just, it, it kind of, um, you said this earlier, Jack, when you said planting the seeds, it does plant the seed for her, Kind of, it just shows like this is driving her grief. Like the grief is driving her to do all of this. This is, I mean, it's it's plainly stated, but it's also very effective because that came out of fucking nowhere. And I legitimately, mm. like, I think I was on, I think I was on the phone or I was talking to someone during this, and I and I legitimately said, like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> just the moment that happened, she turns. And, uh, but no, she. I, I think. Um, I mean, grief is a very popular or um, powerful motivator in anything. And so using that as a motivator to be, you know, for her manipulation, for her her ambition, for her focus, I mean, it drives it all home. Well, and I think it's interesting that someone calls her a Mary Sue because at the beginning, it's like right after the whole cell phone footage part where she's filming herself finding that key, like the key. And she's talking to Benji about all of her PhDs, all of the languages she speaks. It showcases that she was meant to kind of strive for this idea of perfection. Like she was always kind of destined. It's almost as if they just made it to that point in the movie. It's just like they turned it off. Just like too perfect for me well yeah and like they kind of do set her up as this like you know she's gorgeous and she Mm. has a phd and she's so smart but like you know it's not for like purely her reasons like it was this kind of interesting dynamic that exists under the surface between her and her dad about like how she kind of had to be something but then it drove her dad crazy so now she's inheriting that and there's a lot of interesting things about inheritance and inheriting obsession and inheriting honor and kind of 
and it, even like, and can go as far as like inheriting mental illness, but the inheritance of this kind of like pressure on her own shoulders to be perfect. And, it, mm-hmm. and that, and that, and being perfect means finding the philosopher stone and proving everyone wrong that her father was not crazy. Almost as if, uh, yeah, I was just, yeah. Like this wasn't for nothing mm-hmm. that her, her dad's life didn't ultimately accumulate into just advent, like needless adventures and having it add up to a lost phone call to his daughter. Like it, it's, it means something more now that she's picking up the mantle. Yeah. Um, I don't, I just one more reference to the 2013 Tomb Raider game. I know this, but like <laughs> the, her, her motivation, Laura's motivation in that is also to try to like, she feels she is responsible to her father, her legacy to prove that he was not crazy because that's the same kind of thing is that, you know, he was obsessed with this thing and everyone wrote him off as crazy and his reputation was ruined. That's a little more focused in the game is the reputation part, but it really does also hold weight here because it feels like the moment he died, it was Scarlet's duty. Like it was like, it like, even though she, like she, kind, she probably wants to make sure that everyone knows that her dad isn't crazy, but she probably just feels like she has to. Like she doesn't even have a choice in this. Like she has to just make like this was this is her responsibility because she knows he isn't or he wasn't. And like to have that destiny, you know, we were talking about destiny earlier, have that thing just hoisted on you, that responsibility, that destiny, that duty of like, I need to prove my dad is not crazy to like to the world, to me, to myself, I mean to everyone. Um, but also have to like I have to also make up what I did wrong because she feels responsible. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing with the ending is that she, I don't know, I take takes responsibilities. To, I don't think that's the correct way to say it, but she recognizes her fault in not picking up that phone and what that might've led to or how that could have influenced things. And she rectifies it. That's the whole point of that ending is rectification. And kind of um, a similar situation with George as well with his brother's mm-hmm, death. Exactly. He's like, but um, also a lot about forgiveness yeah. that there's because like, there's obviously very overtly religious themes in this and about forgiving your like forget getting forgiven, but forgiving yourself and that kind of need to give yourself some grace and that process as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I do like also, I mean, the death of Papillon is very, like, it's scary. Like, I don't, scary is a weird word. It's disturbing. Yeah. It's effective. It makes it's you, unsettling. like, because you know it's so Synonyms. personal. It feels incredibly raw and, like, tragic is the word that comes to mind. Because it feels like the tra- the tragedy that happened, the trauma and the tragedy that happened earlier in his life, which gave him the burn on his hand, is what's ki- is, is what is it has led to a new tragedy of his death. Um, I mean, you know, like you like, um, like you said, Mar- Mary Beth, it's like the religious overtones. Um, it's you know, it, the way like people talk about religion um, and like the the themes of it all you know poetic is always the word that will come to mind to a lot of people is like how it relates to each how each theme relates to one another 
Um, and this, in that moment of his death is like the definition of poetic, you know, the thing that has traumatized him his whole life has finally, you know, taken him. Um, and so using, so it is interesting though, like for this kind of, for this kind of movie that, well, that it, it creates a stigma. I don't want to be like, it, you would think that if you're watching this, if you're not a horror person and you're watching this as some cheap, um, found footage movie, you wouldn't expect something to really, you wouldn't expect that level of trauma to be explored or, you know, to mm. be even considered. Yeah. Um, you could even read it as like Papio was the sacrifice they needed to even find the courage to go on and, uh, and find an opening to find an exit. Um, they needed to take, I, I like the half leaves and half, uh, goes in kind of thing like of course that they need to take some people in order for the other group to to then escape Fabian was just one of them yeah I also just love the way this movie ends <laughs> they're just like well we did it <laughs> but we also well, didn't do it and it's like found footage is so often so nihilistic in this ending where it's just like fuck it's over like there isn't mm-hmm. there's so often it's the end of the footage that was found Exactly. And so it is so fascinating in terms of like, okay, they made it out. And it's not like some happy ending. Like they're fucking devastated. Like the guy would mm. just kind of struggles and kind of like stumbles away into the night. And then Scarlett and her boy toy are left like sobbing dirty and crying <laughs> on the street. And like, I think that's a good way to end it. It's like, yeah, they escaped, but like, did they really escape? Like you're, you know, the trauma, just because they face those fears, there's still more trauma to be investigated and to be dealt with. Like, it's not like some night, nice, like neat package wrapped up. Like your trauma is over, but it's like, you may be just beginning to unpack that trauma um, on top of watching a bunch of people die. And like the obviously yeah. traumatic experiences of going through hell and like seeing demons and like realizing that hell is real. Um, Creepy pianos and yeah. 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 But it, you know, I think that was a fascinating point about this. Cause like I've, I've said before, like found footage is so often everyone's dead. And then you don't really think about like, Oh yeah, the consequences of surviving such a horrible thing. But then in this, you're like, fuck, like there's three people that have to be lit, like be saddled with that for the rest mm. of their lives. And like that's- And one of them thing. is going to have to feel responsible for those people's deaths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the rest and of like, their lives. Like, you know, she found the answer, but what was the, co- the cost was human life and, you know, in, even her own mental health. So again, it's, you know, it's a, you know, classic tale of obsession, but I think it's just like in the found footage first person perspective, it makes it much more raw and much more, feel much more like feel much closer and you can feel those emotions much more intensely about kind of this building guilt and building obsession throughout the film. The ending also reminded me of green room as well. Cause the ending in green room is very much like, well, that's it. <laughs> Where it's there. just like, well, yeah, they're there. They're, yeah. <laughs> they're somewhat alive outside at least inside. They're probably dead. Are we all in um, green room hive? Yes. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I need to rewatch that movie. Um, I love oh. that movie. That'll be a fun one. Anton Yelkin, R.I.P. Oh, God. Oh, man. Lost too soon. Very much. Thoroughbreds, too. He was, he's good in that. Um, yeah, I, the ending is also just... I still don't know how they... I, I, that How they get, like... I mean, the whole idea of them pushing on the manhole to get out and how it's all upside down. I get it, but I don't. 
in the sense, I mean, of course, it doesn't physically make sense because it is fucking hell, and like you know, it's all supernatural <laughs> and shit. But like that, but the how the camera, like, like throw the camera on there, and it's like that gravity shift. It's still, I think about it, and my mind hurts, and, and I, I think that is fun. I think that I love how they do stay true to. I don't want to say gimmick because it's not it. They stay true to the world that they have built. Yes, they're upside down. They have to. That's how they have to get out. This is you know. This mm-hmm. is. You know, it, like this is um, this is the movie. This is the world we have created. We have to stick to that. We can't just say all of a sudden the rules don't matter anymore. Comparing it um, to a movie that MB you brought up a little bit earlier, The Descent, where it's like that's a little bit like oh my gosh, they are like escaping from a wine vineyard, like just covered in like ooze and like purple or reddish kind of uh, coloring at that point, where it's just like the main character is soaked whatever kind of substance this thing was just like covered in blood or something blood, vomit yeah it was it was uh, whatever yes bodily really. fluids um dirt. like it was only, uh it was kind of like come like escaping bar- being buried alive in kill bill it's, well and it's, it's like just, just kind like, of you're hardly escaping death well it's a fucked up rebirth kind of thing you know what i mean like you know mm-hmm. especially in the descent and in this like they're coming out of like a little hole and it's like i like i'm back right. and, and society and like and civility and peace it, and quiet is on the outside it's like a de- it's like a de- it's like a demented rebirth where you're being reborn as a new person but not for the better this isn't like some like phoenix or it's like like a something else rising from the ashes like you survived and you're back but you're completely changed and you're never going to be the same again and not in like a cool fun way but in like a in the course of what i believe to be real and what it means to be a person is just completely and utterly destroyed it won't be like i mean that well, connects uh, directly Chipotle, to the religious i guess uh they can that connects directly to the religious overtones of course because rebirth is you know steeped into religion period but also the rectification makes sense it's pre and post rectification mm-hmm. um of them in the outside world uh it is like that the hell hell or whatever you want to call it the underworld is that mediator between who they were and who they are i mean i mean i guess that's, that's with every event in a horror film but it does feel like it, it's more not symbolic it's more physical and more literal in this one yeah um in this movie and um i mean the whole inversion stuff is very fun um however you know like the whole thing upside down it's one it's also like it does give it does like incite a reaction like oh no it's like the perfect visual representation of this shit's fucked up (laughs) like this is no good um it feels very like it's I don't know. I mean, the atmosphere in this movie, whether whatever you want to say about like with everything we've talked about, the atmosphere is so fucking perfect. Any like every moment you are into those catacombs, you feel it, and it does not deviate. You feel that claustrophobia. You feel that like it feels like there's a stench in the air, and not like the dead corpses, but like the like the like the fucking musk of it all, and the. It just in the sewage, and it feels like it is pure dust. And uh, and I do want to say though, like something interesting about that is that they did shoot in the actual catacombs. This is mm-hmm. on location shooting, just um, like we are right and now. They were, uh, yep. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. We're right there. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we as we did too. They got permission from the Fr- uh, the French government to shoot there. So we, oui, oui. um, <laughs> boy, magnifique. Uh, very magnifique. <laughs> 
um, they were apparently there were they, you know this was the first ever production that secured permission from the and French then, government to film and in the then we did. So that's really fucking cool. So we were the second. Um, I think so. I don't know who did it after that, but we are one of the second. Um, <laughs> but no, the atmosphere is just so perfect. Um, mm-hmm. It just it it it. it I love vibes. I think everyone kind of digs a vibe. And so when, and this is a very vibey movie. Exactly. Um, And this, and it's just, it's pure vibe when you're in the catacombs. You just, it's just, you know, um, what's the term? And not atmosphere, but um, I can't think of it. Ambiance? Yes. Thank you. Sorry. I don't know why I said that so loud. But yes, it's very, it's perfect ambiance and it's a perfect setting for a horror film. And yes, it is, it is like, I mean, it's not like the most revolutionary idea. Uh, oh, let's you know shoot like underground in a catacomb. Like it's not like the craziest thing ever, but it's just so they realize the space and the effectiveness effectiveness of it so well that it really creates that whole time you're in it, and it makes it feel I, very real. I will also bring it back to Blair Witch, saying that is something that it it does just masterfully. Uh, it's it's energy is like like no it's like no other like that's once you see something else in the woods and you hear a branch cracking and all your characters are in frame you don't it's, know it's an unrelenting it be, like, that's the only thing that you think of yeah it's unrelenting it's like an mm-hmm. unrelenting experience and like i think found footage can be very intense that way and exhausting because yeah. i think it is so, like so emotionally it's asking a lot from you emotionally a lot of the time and like mentally in, in terms of how they want you to engage with the film yeah so it's exhausting but when like it pays off it's like a good kind of exhausting absolutely it's also more and, visceral because i mean it's first person because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you feel like you're I, I definitely gotta see blair witch again to call it a masterpiece I think I think I didn't. I think I saw it like with my arms crossed. Like, all right, well, I'm better than this. <laughs> it was one of those situations. Like, I definitely. You should never see something like that. No, like, and I've put so yourself I'll, above something. Did you watch it by yourself there? or with a person? I saw it by myself. Okay, I watched it by myself. I watched Slam. it. With, I watched it with someone. I watched it with my dad and. It scared the shit oh, out of me. I watched it alone again. I loved it. And then I watched it with friends who laughed the whole time. And I was like, oh, no. Fucking ruining it. That's, <laughs> like, that's the it's, worst. It's so easy. That's to, supposed like, to be us. Well, we were, in, us, and, like, we were in high school. Like, I get it. But I was like, mm. I, was, I got frustrated because I was like, this movie is so scary. And um, yeah. 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 like, as you're in tears because you're so scared, like, guys, you don't understand. Yeah. Like, and yes. so <laughs> it's just like, that was always a frustrating experience because yeah, I think yeah. it is easy to laugh at those things, but I think also laughing is a reaction to fear and laughing is a way of covering totally. up your fear. So it's like, hmm, who's the real scary guy? Here? <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, that could that was almost like me on our night comes for us episode um, where it's just like, like every action sequence, I'd be like, yeah, like I would, I would do one of those things um, just because it's like, good, like, I, I don't, it's so visceral. Like, I don't you don't know, know how else to react, like, but laugh. When you see a magician yeah. live, like how do you, what are you supposed to respond with? Yeah, you don't know. Like your sound comes out and you can't control it. And then you, you know, have you like know. Jordan and Clay. Like, oh well, I got to take notes now. Like, how do you pay yeah, attention? Like, we I did do that. <laughs> like, I got to study the footwork. <laughs> what? Is God, she schooled us so hard in that episode. It was so fun. She schooled you, uh, um, especially. Yeah. No, I mean, like, yeah, ambiance. Uh, top notch um 
I mean, like the whole religion aspect and mythology aspect to it is always interesting. Um, I think they give it its due here for sure. Uh, um, they don't use it as a crutch. I don't know. Um, it's hard not to say that because it's the premise of the movie, but it it doesn't feel... It does feel like it, you know, it connects A to B. It makes kind of, like, it kind of makes sense. It doesn't feel like this other piece of lore comes out of nowhere and fucks up everything. It just kind of feels like, okay, yes, that's the, that's the, that, that is the logical step in this story. And that's the, yeah. that's the Even whole Even if you take the lore and mythology out, simple. this thing will mm-hmm. still, like, I think it'll still sing somehow. Yeah. Just because it's like the catacombs yeah, yeah. inherently are going to be uh, pretty stingy. So. Six million corpses. That's fucking nuts. It's a lot. It's nuts. It's crazy that that actually exists in our world and it's not just like burned. Like, yeah, honestly, if I was in France, I'd just like, yeah, we're going to burn all of it. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Done. Gone. We're not like, More we're corpses. not dealing with that. Bad juju. Bad juju. Um, yeah. Like Everest, uh, like the amount of corpses that are left there because of the people that have attempted to make it to the Yeah, that's summit. a problem. Yeah. Mm. Um, anything else we want to talk about before we get to favorite scene? I don't think so. Uh, yeah. Uh, who plays Scarlet? Perdita Weeks. Has she done anything of of note since? She's currently on. She's currently. Um, Is she going to do like a Marvel or? A... No, she's doing a great. She has a great cushy gig right now with Is Ma- she doing a Harry Potter. No, she's Magnum. She's in Magnum PI for like forty-one episodes. So she's huh? she's loving. Get Not those sure checks. The you know, have you ever heard the original Magnum PI? I don't think so. With Tom Selleck. Oh yeah, Tom Selleck. What's, what's um, going on here, Jack? She was in Penny. I, Dr- I think if, if I see a pic, hang on. If I see a picture, I'll I'll, I'll know this. She was in Penny Dreadful. I don't remember her in Penny Dreadful. She was probably great in Penny Dreadful, though. What a fucking good show. Ugh. What's, what's is the new show any good? Have you watched it? Um, no, I've heard it's bullshit, and I I don't want to even like wander into it just because. Yeah. Penny Dreadful is like a very important show for me, so just like I don't want to know. I don't want it sullied. Yeah, and it's it it's reeks of appropriation that show. Yeah, and I've I've read some really interesting takes from you know, like Mexican American writers who some people, like there are some aspects that aren't and some that are. And it's just like, I think it's just a messy show that was trying to take on way too much. There's also yeah. a lot of things about the Holocaust and world war two, which is like, what? Yeah. That's a lot. There's a lot going on apparently with like Nathan Lane's character and like looking for Nazis in America. And I think there's just a lot going on. Yeah. That's too much. That's too much. You, you get rid of half of that. That's too much mm. for a show. Yeah. So yikes. Mm. It is what it is. Anyway, I think she's sensational. Like you said, she uh, is sensational. Uh, fin- uh, female character, lots of agency, doesn't go down the the path that you'd see in these kind of things. Like very much, like on a on a quest, and has a ragtag group to to join her, and she can she can make decisions on her own without seeming like. It's like it's like the the perfections and the imperfections that we were talking about earlier. Like mm-hmm. it seems like everything is not laid out too too cute. She also breaks statues with her feet. That too. <laughs> yes. That was, was pretty cool. She's like just shoves them aside. Like a, yeah. 
like a running back. Just fuck off. Dude. You could even I'm say running. like Tomb Raider. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, to, she's breaking to tombs. Um, those tombs yeah, need no, reading. Shout out, shout out to Edwin Hodge who plays Benji. If you've watched any of the Purge movies, you know he's a mm-hmm. um, wrote, he's a, he's in. Isn't I don't I haven't seen the first Purge, but I know he's in all f- first three of them as a fun. He's making his bones in horror. That's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a fun actor. Um, yeah. All right, cool. Um, favorite scene. So at the end of each episode, we discuss our favorite scene of the film. I will go first. It is the phone. That shit is fucking crazy. It is scary. I audibly said, what the fuck is going on? It's just, I know it's not like the flashiest moment in the movie and it's just very slow. And nothing at that point, I don't know if the piano has happened yet. I don't think so, but like it might've just happened. Ah, I forget. I think they're at the same time. Yeah, exactly. They're in that, again, they're the outer edges of hell. Um, so like, but though they just talk, you know, they just hear this phone in the background. It's like the last thing you would, you would, you would even think about hearing. Like I expected a ghost before I heard, a, a, you know, I expected a ghost more than I expected a phone ringing all of a sudden. And it's just so like, and, and of course it has ties to the thematic element of that she missed a phone call. And, but just hearing her father on the phone and um, just, but like that build up to just finding what's ringing and it keeps ringing and ringing, getting louder and louder and louder. And just like, why is there a phone down here? That makes no sense. There's, there should be no phones. And That's it's right. just- Don't try to ignore it, it at first. It's a perfect lead up to what, like, to the shit really going down. It's a perfect lead up yeah. to all of the, like, the horrific stuff they're about to experience. It's just great, creepy work, if that makes sense. Like, it's just, oh, yeah. it's just a perfect little um, touch. It's a great, um, it, it, it's an appetizer. That's how I would describe it. It's a perfect <laughs> appetizer to the main, the main course. This thing so that's my favorite spooky scene. pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, Mary Beth, do you I have I don't have favorite? one yet. Yeah, do you want to go? So I'm trying to think of my favorite scenes because there's a couple that really stick out. But I think one of my favorites is when she's running back by herself and the hands reach out of the water and it's like blood oh, and the hands boy. come out. I mean, the guy must sucker. Gets pulled in. Yeah, oh. I think I'm a sucker for those kinds of things. But I really love that moment where it's just hands out of nowhere. Hands from the ground. Hands from the ground. Um, another <laughs> scene. This is weird. At the I like at the very beginning is with the bells when they go visit. Um, What's his name? George, I think his name is. Yeah, George. They go visit him to like convince him and they like go and watch him fix the bells and he's not supposed to be there. And for some reason, there's like this weird sense of joy to this this part of the movie that is immediately taken down. But I really like that kind of <laughs> world building, scene building, relationship building aspect of the film. And I just that like really put a smile on my face, which is a weird thing to associate with this movie. But yeah. Well, since you mentioned that there's apparently there's this theory about that clock tower scene um i'm getting this from imdb trivia so who knows but uh it says when scarlet and george are in the clock tower discussing her journey to iran to find the rose key the bell and clock mechanism begin to move by themselves this might signify the foreshadowing of george's own life as he resembles the life of dante in the inferno who's forced off a road against his will having to go through the hell to through hell itself also note the encounter with the police officer near the entrance to the catacombs. This may also symbolize the she-wolf in the inferno, forcing George to go into the catacombs when he insists that he will not. Well, quick question. How are you able to look that up? Uh, do you have that memorized? Because we, we don't have connection down here in the catacombs. So do you have that Bravo. like in Bravo. the back of your head and you were like, oh, I'll Bravo. bring this for the episode? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, That's right. I printed it out. 
<laughs> That's what I did. Out. I'm analog. I printed it out before we went in here. <laughs> I typewritered it. Um, folder, f- a folder full of field notes, like ready to go. Just like Scarlet. I'm a professional archaeologist. Like I have yeah. a PhD that I. You also have your PhD have. in the Manon envelope. Yeah, of course. I have to prove. I, I think. I think the, the French Dante's principles. Inferno uh, theory, which is, I guess you could say, it's like more than a theory now. It's kind of the the reading that fits so well. It's it's kind of like what the movie's going for. It kind of it kind of like brings more life into it, and it kind of makes it stick out more than the rest of the found footage. It's like, the, it's definitely a unique thing for this movie. Yeah, it's it's got to take. I can't. Is there any, Mary Beth, you would know, is there any film, any found footage film that has, that includes Dante's Inferno in any sense? This is the only one that I'm super, I know of. I'm also like not the biggest Dante's Inferno person, but I think this is the only one that really tries to take on that, that whole Mm. mythology. Well, that whole like epic. Yeah. Mm. Or like has at least a modern spin on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jack, what's your favorite I think, yeah, I think my favorite scene might just be the end. Just like, like the very uh, ending of them coming yeah, out of the the very know. ending of when you see the shot of Paris, just like what we were talking about before. Um, I think it's just as cathartic as it is um, telling of of these characters past this event. Like it's it's like their mentality has been um, stabilized, but also much much worse. <laughs> so it's like where it's. Like we don't really know what we did, but we yeah we did something. <laughs> You're living with it. That's that's. Yeah, I mean, right. it's a sense of relief, and it's also a great transition because it it's it you, like the visually, it's already just feels so fucking different from what we have experienced yeah. for like the majority of the film. It's just a seeing cut. a sky, it feels like you're like you're seeing God, just because you've just been in the in that ground for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Sure. Well. Mary Beth McAndrews, thank you so much for coming on. This was thank great. Ha- thank you for having me. Anytime. Talk Please come back anytime you want. Cool. Love talking about found footage forever. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you are definitely the authority that I know of because, um, yeah, that, so uh, speaking of found footage, do you want to, so where's the seminar taking place? So I just finished recording it. The lecture that I'm doing about found footage is going to be as part of Salem Horror Fest. Um, tickets are on sale now. So if you go to SalemHorrorFest.org, you can get all the information. There's so many good lectures happening, a ton of movie premieres. So it's not just, you know, I'm obviously the hook, but you know, there's other reasons to go. Um, <laughs> so your face I'm, is on the poster. Uh-huh, 100%. Mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> but there's an, also a ton of amazing lectures about horror films. There's movies. And so I, you know, check that out. Um, it's a talk for an hour about found footage on nonstop. So you can get more Perfect. of me. That's heaven, essentially. So where can everyone find you on the social medias? So you can follow me on Twitter at MB McAndrews. I write for a variety of outlets under the sun. So you can just follow me there for all my updates. You can also follow my podcast at Scarred Podcast. I am the co-host with Terry Menard and we talk to people in the horror world about the films that scared them as kids. So like we recently talked to Rob Savage who directed The Host about Wreck, which is a found footage film. And you know, we got to fun. Yeah. So we talked to directors. We also talked to horror writers. So it's just like a a bunch of people who love horror talking about horror movies so yeah what's the most obscure film you have covered probably 
probably sorry to put you on the spot no i'm trying to remember could it be psycho or is that that's not obscure <laughs> i don't think no. so there's yeah. there was one that's a slash for that starts lindo blair and mm. i can't remember what the fuck it's called because i'd never heard of it before but it was not good um but it was interesting to watch it but that was the most obscure one because i had never ever even heard of it because most of the films mm. we've watched even if i haven't watched them before i've heard of them and like they're pretty like pretty common or like they're kind of cited a lot but mm-hmm. I, for the life of me, cannot remember what this movie was called. But yeah, the Linda Blair slasher movie was... Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I bet there are a few obscure where you're like, uh, like, where it probably feels like a relief just to talk about them since no one knows what the movie is, to have a whole podcast. Like, this was my trauma. No one talks, no one knows yeah. this movie. Please oh, it's listen. called it's called Hell Night. <laughs> I just had to look it up because I was like... I knew, Hell Night. I knew Hell was in the name. Yeah, it's called Hell Night. <laughs> That's a fantastic title. Sweet. You can you could probably skip it. It's not <laughs> if um, it didn't scar you for life, then uh, it, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, like, don't not watch, at the yeah, watch not it now, at twenty seven. Yeah, yeah. As, as a kid, it makes sense as a scary thing, but at the age of twenty seven, no bueno. How about twenty? Would you say? <laughs> no. Nah. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe um, I don't know your tolerance for slasher films, but that's a great point. Yeah, it's not the best. Jack, where can everyone? That's follow also you? something we can dive into. Like the slasher kind of popular. Yeah, I'm, I don't know what. Twenty uh, tens is weird. Like the twenty tens is weird for slashers. But yeah, I was gonna say. say that's a whole other topic of your discussion. Yeah. Because slashers kind of like there wasn't really a lot of them. But anyway, mm-hmm. of course, uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, Jack A Draper, and my main outlets for film writing are Simple Cinephile and uh, Cineflix Daily. Everyone can follow me at Birds of Clay on Twitter and on Letterboxd. You can follow me at Mr. Clay Williams at, on Instagram. You can follow the podcast account at ETT Pod. Uh, please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Give us those five stars. We'd greatly appreciate it. You can leave us a voicemail on Anchor. Uh, any comment or question you want to make. Um, next week, we have... Uh, right now, we're still in the process of narrowing down a few titles and options but we do know that Pauliyama is going to be joining us once again former Schmodown champion Pauliyama that would be very yeah. fun um, maybe the longest yeah. stretch one guest has had since to the returning. first time they've been on I think mm, yeah that- we've been trying to get him on we finally did it it's November, gonna be fun last year very crazy. fun oh god remember there was a life before 2020 like there is like no, existence was Actually. and like time happened like events in mm. uh, just crazy like you can gather in groups more than 10 yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah like remember that that was crazy um leaving my apartment yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um thank you all so much for listening uh please catch us next time on exiting through the 2010s and please remember defund the police black lives matter Justice for Daniel Prude. See you next time.